Welcome to Kahului Baptist Church. It is good to have you. Hope you all made it from the Lauren Hill concert, those who attended. Hopefully she didn't kill you softly with her songs. And hopefully I don't kill you softly with my words. Exodus 28-30. Exodus 28-30. The title of the sermon a priest in the holy place. A priest in the holy place. Men, while you guys are writing the title down, men, here's a, a helper to you. Wednesday is Valentine's Day. So uh, for those whom it is applicable, make sure you don't forget to, uh, I don't know, get some heart candy or give your spouse or whatever a massage or something like that. All right? So you're welcome. You're welcome, because I know some of you forget. Anybody did not know Wednesday was Valentine's Day? Very smart. You know not to raise your hand. You've learned. All right, so uh, while you're turning there, go ahead and uh, a priest in the holy place. We'll be in Exodus 28 through 30. If it's your first time and you haven't been here with us, we are in the book of Exodus. We have seen how all things, the Old Testament points to, paves the way for the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And we saw how Jesus on the road to Emmaus with two disciples, uh, are, they're talking about all the things. This is after the crucifixion of Christ, after the resurrection. They're, they're discussing these things, and Jesus appears to them. He's disguised to them. He is kept from their recognition of him. And he begins to explain to them from the Old Testament all the things concerning Christ, how he must suffer and die and rise again. And it says, as he was doing this, uh, starting with Moses, that their hearts burned within them. And so uh, it has been a joy of mine as a pastor here to open the Word of God, beginning with Moses, and we started in the book of Genesis in 2015, and now we are in the book of Exodus in 2018, and one day we'll make it to the book of Revelation when I'm dead and we're all dead and we see him face to face and we'll know what Revelation's all about. And we've been seeing from the Old Testament how truly everything points to Christ in the Old Testament. Now, we're not going and saying under every rock we see Jesus, under every verse or little tiny word or phrase that that, that is somehow Jesus. But when you look at the big, the totality of the picture, you see how this intricately points the way to Christ. And last week in Exodus 25 to 27, we saw how the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the dwelling place of God, the mercy seat, the, or the atonement cover. And, and we saw all these things, how this is paving the way and pointing the way truly to Christ. How Paul uses the same word, propitiation, a mercy seat, atonement cover. Uh, he uses that same Greek word and applies it to Christ with the message, where do we go today to gain mercy? Where do we go today for atonement in Christ alone, in Christ alone. So today, we will cast our gaze on the priesthood and see what this has for us. And we will see that there is a priest in the holy place, in the holy of holies, and find there is much nourishment for our souls this morning. So let's pray. Father in heaven, may your spirit enlighten our eyes. You are with us now. You are here by your Spirit, you are, in a very real sense, abiding in the presence of your people. And yet there are some here this morning, and you are kept from their eyes. They can't see you. They can't sense you by faith. They don't have faith. And so would you be pleased, through the preaching of your word, through the magnifying of Christ, to open their eyes and cause all of our hearts collectively to burn within us and overflow in worship. Would you do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three points are quite simple. Three points are quite simple. There's a lot of subpoints, but to help you anchor things. Number one, you need a priest. Number two, you have a priest. Number three, I'll tell you what it is when we get there. Number one, you need a priest. Now, what is all of this priesthood 
about. Now, remember in chapter 27, and actually you'll see this recurring throughout our time here, and if you're reading with us privately or separately, uh, you'll see this phrase occurring again and again. This was all according to the pattern that was shown to Moses, or God will say to Moses, make sure you do this exactly according to the pattern that was shown to you. Make sure you do this exactly according to the pattern that was shown to you. Which begs the question, this is all a replica. If there's a pattern, then there is something that this is being patterned off of. So Moses isn't just on the mountain. Now, we read it, and so we are hearing it in an auditory fashion, but Moses is hearing it in an auditory fashion and seeing it visually. He's seeing the pattern, and then he's going to come down, and we're going to find this later, that the Lord has already filled men with the spirit of skill and wisdom to make and construct the pattern so that they know exactly what they're supposed to make. We'll get there in time. But there is a pattern for the tabernacle. There is a pattern for the priesthood, and it begs the question, what or whom? Whom exactly do you think Moses is patterning these priestly garbs after? Hmm. Interesting. We'll get there at the end, or more in the middle. We'll find out soon enough. So all this is based on a pattern. So now we have the tabernacle. We have the holies, the outer room in the holies. And we have the holy of holies, the inner room where only the high priest can go one time of year. If anybody else goes in this area, they what? die, all right? And so now we have a tabernacle, a tent, a place where God will dwell in the midst of his people And now he's going to describe the priests, the priesthood. Now, why, quite simply, do they need a priest? Why? Why can't they just go in there? There's a tent. God's dwelling there. Why can't they go? Quite simply, the same reason they were kicked out of Eden, because of sin. It's the same reason you need a priest, because of your sin. Their sin had defiled them, had corrupted them, had made them foul before a holy God. Therefore, they cannot approach him. Even their worship in the most sincere times was tainted with corruption. Even if they offered a sacrifice by themselves, their sacrifice was tainted. Their hands were dirty. And it best, it was an affront to a holy God. And today it is the same. Your sin. Here's an encouraging phrase for you that you can tweet later. You are a screw-up. Yeah, you are. You really are. That's putting it nicely. Before a holy God, you have sinned and broken his law. You do it every day, multiple times a day. You do it without thinking it, without realizing it. Largely because you are ignorant. Largely because you don't read the Word of God and find out how great your sin is. And when you do, you begin to see. And this is the uniform testimony of Scripture. When fallen men behold the holiness of God and glory, do you know what happens to them? They fall as though dead or feel as if they are coming apart. Do you really want to be touched by an angel? I don't. So why do you need a priest? Because of your sin. Why do I need a priest? Because of my sin. So let's ask a very basic question. What is a priest? What is a priest? What did the priesthood consist of? Well, let's give you a biblical definition. What is a priest? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. If you're those who like to dig in extra and read and and know more extra behind the scenes, Hebrews is going to be like a running commentary on Exodus. So just start in Hebrews chapter 1 and read it through the end, and you're going to find these things. Hebrews is a running commentary on Exodus. 
Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1, a priest does what? He acts on behalf of men in relation to God. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. That's a very basic definition. They stand in the place of men. They act on behalf of men. They are appointed, chosen. We're going to get to the rest of the things that they do. But they stand before a holy God as a mediator, a go-between. To act on behalf of men in relation to God. Let's flesh that out. We see from our chapter, from chapter 28, 29, 30, we see you will find very quickly, as you already saw in your brief reading, that this is a very strict priesthood. There are lots of rituals to this priesthood, and I'll get to what those rituals are for in a second, but you find that this priesthood is confined, restricted to particularly Aaron and his sons, nobody else. Nobody else. You saw a name there, Nadab and Abihu. That's a little bit of a foreshadow of things to come. You're going to find very specific instructions on a type of oil or incense that they are to make and fabricate, a, to construct this special type of incense that nobody else can, off, can make in Israel. You're going to find their specific orders given here. And Nadab and Abihu, if you read on in the Mosaic account, they're going to offer what's called strange fire before the Lord, and they're both going to pay with their lives. They're going to die. A lot of lessons there for us. But what we find is that this is confined, strict, to one family, Aaron and his sons. Many of the rituals that you find are for purity of the priests, for their protection from what, you say, from God from God's holiness for their good. We'll find in verses 31 to 35 uh, a set of instructions uh, telling them around the hem of the garment of the priest to have a type of pomegranate in every other one, a pomegranate and a gold bell, a pomegranate and a gold bell, a pomegranate and a gold bell, alternating like this all the way around the hem of their garments so that when they go into the place to minister, says they do not die. Now, some of you have uh, cats that are evil in their fallen nature. Sorry, Victoria, you have cat ears on right now. Ooh, I didn't anticipate that. So, um, <laughs> some of you, to keep your little cat perhaps from getting lost, will put a collar with a bell on it, or not so much maybe to keep them from getting lost, but to keep them from killing unsuspecting animals. And so the bell jingles and birds can have a fighting chance to fly away. Well, what is the point? The bell jingles, and so you either know where the cat is or if the cat is coming. And if your cat is particularly astute and skillful, they learn how to hunt even with the bell. Poor animals. What is the point of this bell on the hem of the priest's robe? The point of the bell, so that when they're in there ministering, you can hear them whether they have died and need to be dragged out and replaced because of their lack of holiness, their lack of purity, their lack of respect and honor for the holiness of God. This is what's going to happen to Nadab and Abihu. They will be consumed by the holiness of the Lord. So the priesthood is strict. We find the priesthood is sanctified, we could say, or consecrated. So uh, what you're going to see now is the construction of the tabernacle is starting to take place, and then you're going to see the consecration or the sanctification of the items within the tabernacle. So they are now made and constructed, or they're being constructed, and then you're going to see a lot of blood. It's going to get really bloody in the coming chapters, where they are having to slaughter animals and sprinkle blood on everything and sprinkle blood on the robes, and blood on the altar, and blood on everything. And what is, the what is the point? God is purifying it. He is atoning 
for the sins of the people and how that sin corrupts everything. And once it is atoned for, once sin is accounted for, that thing now is designated, set apart from common use to holy to the Lord for special purpose and service to God and God alone. So these priests are not like ordinary men. Once they are cleaned, purified, ritualistically, their sins are atoned for. They are no longer normal, common. They are holy, sanctified, set apart for the Lord. And this is what this means in verse 36 and 37. We saw this as he's giving instructions to Aaron. Verse 36, you shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And this was to be fastened on the front of their turban while they served before the Lord. And they were to remember, and everybody was to remember that they are holy, they are sanctified. So this priesthood was strict, it was confined, and it was holy, it was sanctified, it was set apart for service to God. And then we find the third element of this priesthood is it was service-oriented. Service-oriented. They acted on behalf of men. They're serving the people of Israel. They're acting on their behalf, standing in before God in a very dangerous profession. Very dangerous profession. If I were to ask you by a show of hands, how many of you think you would like this idea of serving as a priest? Right? Committee sign-up day. Ministry sign-up day. Who wants to be a priest and act on behalf of the church? You guys know it's a loaded question, don't you? But in all honesty, if, if we were to ask, who, do you, I mean, who of you would like to be a priest and stand and even have the opportunity to stand before God and see His glory, something that nobody else sees? I think there's a part of us looked at like that Thank God, want to be a priest. This service-oriented priesthood, consider this. They were to hear, see, and smell the effects of the sins of Israel as they slaughtered sacrifices at least twice a day and many other offerings throughout the day, weeks, and years. They would literally be around blood animal carcasses, organs, things like this, every day. Every day. As you are a faithful Israelite bringing your lamb to offer, a priest will receive it. They will slaughter it ritualistically. They will make sure it's good. They'll inspect it. They'll offer it up. They'll burn it. This is a bloody, gory job. Very labor-intensive and very necessary. Because when God's law is broken, it must be accounted for. When sin is committed, death must occur. For the wages of sin, Paul tells us, is death. Something has to die. And the priest's in this labor-intensive job, served, acted on behalf of Israel in relation to God. So why do we need a priest? Because of our sin. We need somebody to stand between us and our sin and a holy God, lest we die. Lest we die. That's number one. You need a priest. Number two, you have a priest. You have a priest, yeah. Embedded in the narrative, in the instructions, in the pattern before us are breadcrumbs pointing their way to a greater priest, 
to the need for a greater sacrifice. See, they had to do this year after year. So could you really say that the sacrifice was an atonement? Could you really say the priest atoned for your sins to where they were covered and blotted out completely? No. Why? Because he had to do it. Year after year, day after day, week after week, this had to happen. And so it left them, embedded in the narrative is a longing, a a gaze cast to the horizon of a better one to come. And he has come. Thankfully, we have a priest, a high priest, a greater priest. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 23. And I'm going to click there with you. If your Bible app is not opened already, now would be a good time to open it. Hebrews 7, starting in verse 23. Remember, this is a commentary on Exodus. Check this out. We're going to read through to chapter 8, verse 2. The former priests, talking about this priesthood that we're talking about right now, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So there had to be a bunch of these guys. Why? Because they would die and somebody else had to serve. Prevented by death from continuing in office, but he, that is Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. What's the result? That Jesus continues forever versus never dies. What's the result? Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Amen. Think about that. Their high priest would die, and another would have to be trained up and raised up. Have you ever had a doctor that you just really loved, and the doctor just did an excellent job, and he knew you, and they knew you, and, and then they move? And you have to, then you have the new doctor, and they're different. They would have a high priest, maybe no matter how good or faithful this high priest was, and he would die. And then they'd have a new one. And is he going to offer strange fire like Nadab and Abihu again? Let's hope not. Is he going to do what, what the sons of, or what Samuel's mentors did, sons of Eli, Phineas, Hophni did? Let's hope not. See, they were prevented. But Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. How are you trying to draw near to God? Why would you try any other way? He is able to save you to the uttermost, but that's not all. There's more. Verse 26, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tabernacle the Greek word under there, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Beloved, remember I said you're you're a screw-up in the beginning, right? You are. You need a priest. You should be longing for somebody to draw you near to God, to act on your behalf in relation to God. Glory be to God You have one in Christ. 
We have such a high priest. And Christ, unlike the other high priests, Christ is not only the priest, he's the provision. He offered up himself. He is the Lamb of God, the spotless, holy, innocent, unstained Lamb of God who offers up himself for sinners. And he always lives to make intercession for his people. He always lives to make intercession for his people. You know what one of my hindrances as a pastor is? I'm a man. You know, I don't, I don't always live to make intercession for you. I don't. If you ask me to pray for you, I'm probably, unless I'm having a hard time sleeping that night, but more than likely not going to wake up at 2 in the morning to pray for you. I'll probably save it till 5 in the morning or 6 in the morning or a more reasonable time. Not Jesus. He always lives to make intercession for you. So when you're laying in bed awake at night, there's something heavy on your heart and on your soul that's keeping you from sleeping. When there is that family member near and dear to your heart or that conflict situation that is causing you to stay awake and you're just, you don't find peace, the Lord Jesus always lives. He lives to make intercession for you. Or the flip side, if I said you're a screw-up, what happens when you screw up? When you mess up, when you stumble, when you fall. I love this, 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So what happens? I'm writing, I'm preaching, I'm laboring, we're reading so that you won't sin. But what happens when you do? We have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who always lives to make intercession for his people. You need a priest. You have a priest. There is one who can stand on your behalf before the God the Father. This is what we sang last week, before the throne of God above. I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. So let me ask you, will you receive him today? Will you trust in Christ as your high priest? Will you trust in him to stand before God on your behalf and represent you before God to forgive you of your sins and to intercede for you actively now, today, and always? Will you do that? Because he's able to save you to the uttermost if you do. You need a priest. You have a priest. This is perhaps the most shocking of all. Point three. Let me ask you this. Where do we see this role in the church? Where do we see this role in the Old Testament people of God, Israel? Where do we see the parallel to this in the church, the New Testament people of God? Just think of all the symbolism, the, the, the ephod of, with the 12 uh, names of the sons of Israel engraved on stone and the two stones on the shoulder and, and to bear it on the breastpiece of judgment before the Lord in remembrance, always holy to the Lord on his head. Perhaps, perhaps Pastor Randy, right? That's, I get to do that. I get to, to bear the, the people of God on my heart, on my soul, holy to the Lord, Praise God. This is true. Here's the most shocking part. That is not my position by virtue of my office as pastor. That is my position by virtue of my status as member of the body of Christ. 
So where is this New Testament correlation found in the new covenant people of God? Point number three, you are a priest. You, beloved, in Christ, are a priest before God. This new covenant equivalent parallel fleshed out in the New Testament local body of Christ is not in Pastor Randy and not in the pastors. It is in the people. You. You. All of this, all of this is fulfilled in Christ. And in Christ, through Christ, And for Christ, we, the church, those who have professed faith in Christ, now fulfill this function of priesthood on a global scale as a royal priesthood. Now let's go back to remember what constitutes the priesthood. Strict, sanctified, service-oriented. Now let's wrap that around and bend it out to you. But first, in application, let's lay the biblical foundation. First Peter chapter 1. So now we're Old Testament, Exodus, launch forward, New Testament. First Peter chapter 1, verse 14 to 16. Check out what Peter says to these Christians who are being persecuted. Here's what he says, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you, now listen for this, the holiness sanctified, set apart. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, a holy nation. Sorry, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, a few verses later, check it out again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Beloved, do you hear this? Do you see this? You in and through and because of Christ, function as a corresponding parallel to the Old Testament priesthood, you are a holy people. By what were you sprinkled clean? The blood of bulls and goats? The precious blood of Christ. Whose Whose garments do you wear as you minister in the holy place? Your own? You are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, imputed to you by faith in Him. This is found, beloved, in you. So that means your ministry today at Kahului Baptist Church, if you're a member, having followed Christ and faith and the obedience of baptism, your ministry is a ministry of the priesthood. Does this not elevate what you are doing here? Are you here to serve me? No, I am here to serve you. As we together serve him. This is a doctrine that we refer to as the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood of the believer. This privileged position of service, you are chosen by God to act on behalf of of men in relation to God. 
Every denomination since the time of Christ, we could say as they came up with Roman Catholicism and the Protestant Reformation, all of the ones, uh, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Anglicans, Episcopalians, all of these try to wrestle with a meaningful way of applying the doctrine of the priesthood of the believer. And at best, they give a cursory nod to the role of the priest of the believer. Congregationalists, Baptists, historically, of all of them, truly value and recognize the role of the body of Christ in the service of God and in the organization of the church. Of all. You go to any other church in Maui this morning, you don't know how much say you'll have in the affairs of that church? Very little. It'll be suggestive at best. Brainstorming, perhaps. Thank you for expressing your thoughts, your considerations, but we got this. That's the reality. That's the reality. Because of this doctrine of the priest of the believer, we truly see the members of the body of Christ as vital and want to respect and honor your status before God as a holy priesthood. So all these pictures that we read here, all of these things, holy to the Lord, this is you. This is you. This is foreshadowing Christ, and then in Christ, you. The setting apart, the cleansing with blood, that's a picture of what happens to you at your salvation. You're washed by the blood of Christ, and then you are sanctified, set apart for service unto him. The pictures of the engraved stones with the names of the sons of Israel for Aaron to bear on his heart and on the breastpiece of judgment before the Lord in remembrance. That ministry is now, in part, your ministry. All dependent on the ministry of our great high priests. So in closing, let's take some time and work through each of these in turn. That's the biblical foundation. Let's now apply that to your life today. You ready? Strict. It was confined to the people of Aaron, sons, his sons specifically. The sons of Aaron, the family of Aaron. It was strict and confined. Now it is Global, sons and daughters, sons and daughters of God in the body of Christ. You have true value. We want to really be a congregation that values the role of women, our sisters in the Lord. Now, it becomes debated, what can women do in the church and things like that. And I want to honor that. I want to honor the the biblical position of male headship in the church, but at the same time, I don't want to go to the end and bar women from doing more than what God has commanded and allowed for them to do in the body of Christ. Amen? Women, you have a real important value to the body, and we want to honor that and include you in various ways, as is biblical and appropriate before the Lord. It's all the sons and daughters of God. This also means we value membership. Membership in the body of Christ. Members at KBC, as I said, you have a real and an impactful role. You have five areas of authority biblically that we have identified. And they are all extremely important. You're about to exercise one of those in the coming months. That is to choose who your leaders are who will serve as pastors with me. Leadership, who your members are, who your fellow covenanting into one another is to fulfill the one another's of Scripture, who your members are, who your members are not. The doctrine that we hold as a church through the Scriptures. And you have a say and how the money, the affairs of the church is spent. And so we are transparent with you in every way with with what we're doing, how we're doing it. Why? Because we are serving Christ and serving you. Serving you. You have a really important role 
If you are not a member of a church, find one. Find one that is a biblical, gospel-centered church and be a part and exercise your gifts, your role, your unique benefits that you bring to that body of Christ. If you are a priest, you are gifted for service in the body of Christ. Find one and join one. If you don't have one, we of course invite you to join with us. I'm biased. Join with us and exercise your roles in the body of Christ. It is strict. Now it is open. Number two is a sanctified priesthood. They were to be holy, holy to the Lord, set apart for God. Beloved, you were reborn in Christ if you are a believer, which means you have a new nature, which means your fundamental root nature is one that loves righteousness. It is holy to the Lord. That's why when you do things that are unholy, it disturbs you deep in your soul. It is against the fundamental nature of who you are. We call this conviction of sins. What happens when you weren't a believer and you profess faith in Christ, you become a believer, suddenly the things that you used to do that didn't bother you, as you learn and your mind is renewed by the Scriptures, begin to start to do what? They bother you, don't they? Because it is against the fundamental nature of who you are now. You are holy to the Lord. And you must be holy. You must walk in holiness before the Lord. It's important to note the order in which things were done in Exodus 28-30. First it was constructed, the pattern was shown. Then it was sanctified, set apart. Then they served. Sanctification comes before service. You must be holy to serve. Now, how do we apply this to you? Some of you are hindered from service in the body because of your own lack of holiness. Your unwillingness to let go of sin and to walk in the holiness that is yours. And so for that reason, you are hindered. We are not in the business at KBC. Many volunteer organizations, we're not a volunteer organization, we're a church. But many volunteer organizations need a lot of volunteer help. So if you're willing to help, a lot of times you're signed up. What do you want to do? You want to do everything? Here, do everything, right? We are not a volunteer organization. Sanctification here must precede service. You must be holy. I need help. I've been telling you that. I need a a certain kind of help. I need holy help. People who are walking in holiness. Now, this doesn't mean that you never sin. doesn't mean you never struggle with sin. It means as often as you struggle with sin, you're turning from it, repenting from it, and trusting in Christ to forgive you of that sin and to change you. This isn't for the sake of being exclusionary. It's for your protection. Remember? The bells on the the hem of the robe, if they were unholy in their service to the Lord, what happened? They died. This is for your protection, not to be exclusionary, not to keep you out. We want you in, but you must be holy. So let me ask you, what in your life today are you clinging to that is unholy? What are you clinging to that is against your fundamental nature of who you are, that is causing you to be or feel or both defiled and hindering your joy and the fulfillment of your purpose before God? Beloved, I am saying these things so that you will not sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. Let it go today. Today. Be holy. You are holy. Walk in it. Walk in it. Last, number three, service-oriented. The priesthood is a ministry of service to act on behalf of men in relation to God. 
We saw these priests, they bore the names of Israel on their hearts in constant remembrance before the Lord. Beloved, it is your role to lift up your fellow members, brothers and sisters in Christ, to God in prayer, to minister on their behalf. That is your role. That is your privilege. So I encourage you, be proactive in getting to know your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Be proactive in learning who they are so that you can remember them and pray for them. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you stuck around or came early or both? You stuck around to say hi to somebody you don't know and get to know people you don't know. When was the last time you did that? Or do you have a habit of packing your Sunday morning schedule so tight that come, ooh, pastor's going, he's going to go long today. Mm, I got a jet. Or do you have a habit of packing your Sunday morning so tight that you feel you have to leave? What if you set a new pattern and allowed time and, and margin in your schedule for you to stay after, get to know your brothers and sisters? And you might find the very community that you desire is here, but you leave and cut yourself out of it. Stay late. Say hi to somebody you don't know so that you can know them and remember them and bear them on your heart before the Lord. That's a service. Now, this isn't necessarily what the biblical text is commanding us, this next thing I'm about to say, but it is within reason. It's just a very practical thing to see. How many stones did they have on their breast piece? Twelve. For each of the sons of Israel in their birth order. What if every one of you identified 12 individuals or families? Right? Because I don't expect any one of you to know everybody. I think there's only two people that probably know everybody. That would be myself and Pastor Jim. Right? And we make a concerted effort to try to know everybody. But I don't expect any of you to get to know everybody. That would be quite challenging. What if you challenged yourself to know 12 individuals or families to get to know them, to know their names, to know their children's names, to know where they work, what's heavy on their heart, what, what causes them to tick, what keeps them awake at night, what are the things that stress them out, their, their unique personality traits and gifts before God. What if you purpose to know them so that you can remember them and bear them on your heart before the Lord? 12 families, that would be incredible. That would be incredible. Maybe you would mix it. Some of them that you, that you don't know and some that you do. Right? Well, I'm already really good friends with these guys, so of course I'm going to bear you on the name. Maybe I'll include four to six more that I don't know. It's a service to the Lord. This is your service. And it's what you're called to. We also saw that this was labor-intensive. Labor-intensive. They're slaughtering animals. They're, it's dirty. There's blood. There's smoke. They're stocking fires and keeping candles lit and making for perfume and, oil, and all these types of things. This is a labor-intensive job. That means your service, if you're doing it right, exercising your ministry right, will feel labor-intensive. It'll feel difficult. It should stretch you. In other words, it won't be convenience. And I think many of you serve at your convenience, if we're quite honest, if at all. I heard one pastor put it this way. Some people say, well, I'm afraid of burning out. And he, he put it like this. He says, you're about as close to burning out as I am of getting pregnant. Some of you. You need to be stretched. And this should feel labor-intensive. This also means the reality of your status as a holy priesthood. You are indwelt by the Spirit of God. You possess the Word of God. means that you are fully capable of encouraging one another 
with the Word of God and prayer, even if you don't feel like you are. You hear what I'm saying? You are fully equipped. You have every necessary ingredient to encourage one another in the Lord and spur one another on to love and good deeds, even if you don't feel equipped or capable. A lot of times our feeling of inadequacy keeps us from what? Saying that word of encouragement, bearing into that relationship. We don't, we don't feel adequate, but you are in Christ. You have his Holy Spirit. Some of you are, you think, man, I need the pastor to pray for me. You know, th- thank you, Pete, for praying for me, but I need to pray with Pastor Randy. You know, that's one of the ways we unintentionally undermine this teaching. When we think that I have this special hotline to God, I don't. Actually, my wife does, all right? So if you want that, she has that hotline to the Lord. She gets whatever she asks for. Me, 50-50. So if I'm wanting something, Britt, can you? But one of the ways we undermine this is unintentionally thinking, I got to pray with Pastor Randy. It's not that Pastor Randy doesn't want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. But no, your brothers and sisters have the Spirit of God in them. And when they pray for you, they are exercising their holy ministry before God. And he is pleased. He is honored. This is a wonderful privilege, beloved. It's a wonderful privilege. We could flesh this out more. We could consider your priestly role in the home. Fathers, acting on behalf of your families in relation to God, praying for your children, praying for your wife, praying with and for them. We could talk about that. We could talk about your priestly role at work, whether you're a cashier or a consultant. You stand there on behalf of men in relation to God. This sanctifies every area of your life. I pray that you'll have fruitful conversations over lunch over this. We will close with Revelation 1, 5 through 6. Check this out. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us in Christ. Thank you that in Christ, our great high priest, we have been freed from sin. And Lord, I pray if there are any who have not sought you by faith, if there are any who are trying to come another way, that they would see there's only one, Jesus. And may you bless our service to you. May you magnify Christ and build your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now is a time of response. I would invite you, uh, while we're singing, if you'd like prayer with me or if you'd like me to pray for you about anything, I would love to do so.